0: Are you ready for the word? I know that it's been disconnected by two Sundays, but remember I preached a series on guarding your heart. Guard your heart number one, guard your heart two, guard your heart three, guard your heart four. Well, guess what you got this morning? Guard your heart five. And uh, this was the point that really I wanted to get to when I started. So you already know that the word heart in the Bible represents the inner person, your inner being. It's more than your mind, it's more than your soul, includes your spirit, touches on the aspect of your body, but the mind in the Bible is reflected in it, and the heart of a person is basically who you are. It's One theologian says it is the hub of human personality. So much so that Jesus says that everything that we have inside of us comes out through our mouths, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the Bible uses different words interchangeably. The mind, and sometimes it can be the heart. Sometimes you look at the heart, it can seem like he's talking about the spirit, but really the heart is right at the essence of who we are. So things that are normally ascribed to the mind in the Bible, the Bible even ascribes that to the heart. For example, grief, desires, joy, understanding, thoughts, reasoning, faith, and belief are all said to come out of the heart. All are products of the heart. So One of the things that Jesus implies is that our hearts is a repository. In other words, it's a place in which things are deposited. And so he says in one of the Gospels, the good man, out of the good things stored up in his heart, brings out good treasures, because it's a place that things are deposited in. It's a repository. Is that okay? It's like a safety box in a bank. But also, by the same token, he says, you know, the bad person brings the bad things out of the bad that is stored up in them. And so that's why the Bible says then, out of the heart, the mouth mouth speaks. And so if you want to know what is inside a person's heart, just listen to what they speak. Amen? The heart is where God works. God works in our hearts, so we need to have a heart that is tender because the Bible says we can have a tender heart, a soft heart, or we can have a hard heart. The whole reason why Jesus came was that he could take the heart of stone out of us and put the heart of flesh in us. Amen. And that's in Ezekiel, that's in Jeremiah, that's in quite a few places where God says that I will give them. Anyway, let's read Ezekiel eleven nineteen. 19. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them and very often in Bible, they will use parallelism. In other words, they will say thing in a sentence, and they will repeat the sentence using different words. So listen to the parallelism. This is Ezekiel 11, verse 19. I will give them an undivided heart. I'll put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So here in this verse, spirit and heart synonymous. Okay, but anyway, let's move on. There's a very interesting verse in Matthew chapter 19 from verses 7 to 8. In Matthew chapter 19, the teachers of the law were once again questioning Jesus because they wanted to trap him you know, on a point of the law. And they said, how is it, you know, what about divorce? Can anyone divorce? Jesus said basically, no, it was not that way in the beginning. And he said, well, then why did Moses say to the men, you can just write your wife a letter of divorce and you can get divorced? Listen to what Jesus said. They said, Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Yeah. And so, and that's kind of why it was, you know, included in the law. But Jesus goes on to say, It's not that way in the beginning. And he refers back to Adam and Eve. So, that word hard, the thing that Jesus is implying, is that human beings, by nature, have got hard hearts. Yes. By nature, people. When we're born, we're born with hard hearts. It's only when we get born again that He gives us a new heart and He puts a new spirit within us. Is that okay? Amen. But very interesting, that word hard, where it says their hearts were hard, the Greek word there is sclerocardia And the word sclero, sclerocardia, cardia obviously is cardia, but the word sclero is where we get our English word sclerosis from, which means hardened tissue, callous tissue. So Jesus was saying, the reason is, is because you have got sclerosis of the heart. And one of the things that we need to make sure of as believers that we don't have sclerosis of the heart is that okay it's one of the reasons why i've been preaching this series so it's part of the human condition so listen everybody you're listening so part of the reason why i've been teaching the series is because i know what god wants to do is that okay number one for his glory number two for our good and number three for other people's good and their benefit okay so you're listening So I want to take this, and I think it's from the New King James Version. I forgot to put it here, but listen to this. On the last and the greatest day, this is John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is one of the invitations of Jesus. Amen? There's quite a few recorded in the Bible. But he says, If you are thirsty come to me and drink. The amazing thing is, he doesn't say, come and drink and your thirst will be satisfied. He says something completely different. Look what he says. He who believes in me. So in other words, the drinking is by believing. Is that okay? So he's saying, if you're thirsty, put your faith in me and something will happen to you. And that is this. He says, as the scripture has said, and the new King James says, out of his what? His heart. It's amazing because the King James says, out of his belly. Yeah. Now, the belly is regarded as the seat of the emotions yeah. Yeah. over here. And it is because when you get a fright and there's other, feel, you get that feeling. When you're very anxious, you've got that dread feeling. You feel it here. And that's why doctors refer today the stomach as the body-brain. It's the body-brain. You know, if your stomach's upset, all of you is upset. Yeah. It affects your emotions. Yeah. Is that okay? And that's why you know they talk about soul foods. Yeah. You know, a nice stew on a cold winter's night. Once it hits there, you stomach feel better. That like, come in. You know, it's like what a bar of chocolate can do. That's incredible. <laughs> It's directly connected to the brain because it starts releasing endorphins, you know? And that's why doctors call this the body-brain. So the Bible refers to the inmost being, you know, as the belly. But the NIV says the inmost being, it's amazing. The New King James says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I don't know about you, don't you think that's the whole purpose of, you know, God saving us? And that's why he gives us a new heart so that he can indwell there so that out of us can flow the pure spirit of God so our hearts become crucial and central amen now I just want a quick show of hands you can put up two hands because I've got both mine up how many of you want God to use you profoundly I mean how many you're both my hands up and my feet you can count my head and my ears, too. I mean, I want God to use me profoundly, you know? I mean, I want to see greater miracles, don't you? I want to see greater things happening. I want to see blind eyes opening, deaf ears opening, not ones and twos. I want to see by the dozens. You know, I want to see people getting born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to see tumors dropping off, you know? I mean, it's amazing. I don't know if I told you just a little while ago. I was working was before I left, and I just needed a break. And I thought, "Hey, hey, Ellen, hey, hey, And I just started watching some of the miracles. I was sitting in my office; the tears were streaming down my face. Praise for a lady who's been through the tragedy of breast cancer and mastectomy. And he prays for her, and her breast grows back. Yeah. Yeah. Not one, two ladies, yeah. and I'm, I'm just weeping. I'm going, Jesus, I haven't seen this. So we've got to see this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know how it comes up, but then it comes up with that other guy. You know, the brave, bold guy. R. Roberts called him a man of reckless faith. Yeah. Jack Coe. Now I'm watching Jack Coe, and there's a lady with a big goiter on her neck. And he just goes, takes it, and he says, it's not going to hurt you. Just trust me in Jesus' name. And the goiter comes off her neck. And I'm crying. I'm going, Geez. I mean, my hands and my feet are up. How many of you are with me? Amen. So I want to just say that the heart is essential. And that's one of the reasons why God is continually after our hearts, for His glory, for our good. And that's why He can even get nitpicky with us and say, oh, okay, so you don't lie, all right? And then start reminding you, you know. I mean, how many of you have ever had God on your case and you think like that and you think, God, this is just pathetic, you're being picky now. But you know, it's those little things that are important because little things become big things. And the heart, it becomes, it's it's such a key, central thing. Not only is it key and central to my own life, but the condition of it is key and central to my life and to your life. Amen? Amen? And so Jesus said, if you come to me and drink by believing in me, something will happen to you out of your inmost being, out of your heart, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, there is something about a dirty, muddied river that's unattractive with debris rushing down, but there's something so beautiful about a crystal clear river flowing that just speaks of incredible life and incredible energy, and one is destructive and the other one is beautiful. The one is impure, listen to this, the other one is pure. Pure. And so God wants something pure coming out of us. And, and you know, of course, as a church, that we believe in the presence of God. We believe in the miracles. We believe in revival and things like that. But something that is essential is the condition of our hearts. So going right to the last book, chapter of the Bible, and in the last book, in the book of Revelation 22, this is what John sees. He has a series of visions, okay? But in Revelation 22, he has another vision, where God shows him, or the angel shows him. And in verse 1, he says, and he showed me, 22 verse 1, he showed me a what river? A pure river. Now watch the description of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So what Jesus was trying to show John through the angel was something that, it was the throne of God and the Lamb, the throne of, of God is you know, His place of authority where He rules. But it's interesting, it's the throne of the Lamb. Yeah. Where did Jesus triumph and rule from was the cross. Yeah. That's why it's the Lamb. Yeah. Is that okay? And so Jesus was generate, begotten of God, yeah. and so He's one with God. So when God gave Jesus the Spirit, the Spirit proceeds from the Father to the Son, and then from the Son proceeds to us. Yes. Yeah. Is that okay? Now His intention is... The Father, the Son, the Lamb, and us. So what His intention is, that that which proceeds from the Father, proceeds through the Son, proceeds through the sons and daughters of God. Amen? Amen. But notice it needs to be a pure river of the water of life. Is that okay? And so the heart becomes really, really central to this if we want... Something of the pure water of God, the pure anointing, the pure flow of our lives. It's directly relational to the purity of our hearts. That's That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. They shall see, they will experience God. They will have a deeper relationship with God. They will see Him work in their lives. They will experience His activity. And remember we saw different theologians saying, and Bible students saying, that the word pure means single. In other words, the pure in heart are those who've got a single focus and a single purpose in life, and that purpose is God, to serve Him and to please Him and to live for Him. Amen? And so, the pure in heart shall see God move. Is that okay? Are we all happy with that? Okay, we've established that. Can I carry on? All right. So, I want to just talk a little bit more about this. So, the amazing thing is human condition is hardness of heart. We get saved, and theoretically, our hearts should be soft. But before I get there, I want to just talk about, the Bible says much about hardness of heart. Okay? Okay? So in Ephesians 4, 17 to 19, I'm going to read it very quickly in the NIV. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So we were once there. So listen to this, in the futility of their thinking. In other words, their thinking didn't take them anywhere. (laughs) Their thoughts were futile. Listen to this, they are darkened in the understanding, separated from the life of God. The reason is because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? The sclerocardia, the hardening of their hearts. Now, the result is that they've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. So the end result of a hard heart, besides not being able to see or hear or understand, was that you lose sensitivity, and because you lose sensitivity, just... You just keep going downhill into all kinds of sin. So, in other words, God wants us to be sensitive to the Spirit. God wants us to be sensitive to His Word. God wants us to be sensitive to Him. In other words, we must have a sensitive heart. Do you know that word sensitivity? You get in good Bible study in words this morning. You know that word sensitivity? It's where we get our English word. When it says, you know, having lost all sensitivity, the one translation says they become past feeling. Hmm. They're past feeling. They don't feel anymore. Yeah. That Greek word is where we get our English word analgesic from, oh. which means that there's no more pain. You don't feel pain. It's an analgesic. In other words, you've lost sensitivity to pain. Yeah. So what Paul is saying is that they're and hardened hearts, is that they are not sensitive anymore to the voice of the Spirit. You know that it's not like when the Holy Spirit does those kind of things. It's a little bit yeah. painful, isn't it? Yeah. And you say, and you do something, and it goes like, uh-huh. it's like your heart goes, uh-huh. it's a little squeeze on the heart. It's a little bit painful. And the person with the hard heart doesn't feel that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We need to feel that. Because God wants to keep our hearts soft and Pure and feeling. He doesn't want us to be past feeling. Is that okay? So it says their hearts were hard. Amazing thing is that I'm not going to go into it, but you know, and it was more than once, It's at least three times, the Bible refers to the fact that God hardened someone's heart. Hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Sion, king of Heshbon's heart. God hardened the Hivites living in Gibeon. He hardened their hearts. It really is interesting, Paul refers to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in Romans chapter 9. But I want to just show you something. When God hardens a heart, God is not doing the hardening. There is still moral responsibility. The reason why it says, the Bible says, God hardened their hearts was because they hardened their hearts. And they continued to harden their hearts. And then eventually God said, okay, well, I'm taking my hands off. I'm not speaking anymore. I'm not going to do anything anymore. Yeah. And he releases them to the decision they've taken, the course that they're following. Yeah. Now, that's a dangerous place to get when God takes his hands off you. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And that's the reason why we need to continuously be listening to God. Is that okay? All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6, you know, this is what Samuel says. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts. Now, it's very surprising, this verse here. Remember the Ark of the Covenant fell into the hands of the Philistines. Remember? And then God struck them with plagues. Remember, they broke out with tumors. And then a plague of rats came. Because remember, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the temple of Dagon. And every time the priests came in, there was Dagon, broken, smashed, on the floor, face down, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And the third time, I think his head was smashed to pieces. It was like, you know, even a stone carved god couldn't stand before the presence of God connected with the ark. So eventually, listen to this the priests, the priests, the ungodly priests of the Philistines come to the five Philistine rulers because the five cities, you know, Ashdod, Ekron, and, you know, the five cities that made up Philistia. And the five leaders come together and say, listen, we got to get rid of that box. <laughs> that box is not good news for us, you know? And uh, because now they would broken out in tumors and they had a plague of rats. So they consult the Philistine priests. And this is the Philistine priests speaking. And I mean, they're speaking godly stuff. It's amazing. When I was reading it again yesterday, I was like, what? Why do you harden your eyes? He's speaking to the leaders. As the Egyptians and Pharaoh did. I mean, they heard about Egypt and, and Pharaoh. When he treated them harshly, did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? That's why they said to the Israelites, just get out of here because you're bad news for us. And then they were the ones that said, but you can't send it without an expiation offering. What you need to do is make five gold tumors to represent the five cities and put a whole lot of gold rats in a box as an offering and send it with the ark with two new oxen and, of course, the oxen left and all of that kind of thing. But Harriet says, Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? This is proof that Pharaoh hardened his own heart and then God took his hands off. Is that okay? Just for point of clarification. So, that's a long ways down the road. That's a long ways down the road. Everybody say that. Okay. So, I'm stepping down in degrees of hardness. Okay. The next lower level of hardness is this. It is people whose hearts are not necessarily hardened but what they do is they give into the condition of their hearts without changing it. So in Exodus nine, thirty-four to thirty five it says, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail, this was the seventh plague, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart again, and so did his servants. So we can see the progressive thing with Pharaoh, he just kept hardening his own heart. Amen. So the fact of the matter is people can harden their own hearts without being handed over. So Hebrews 3 verse 15 says, As it has been said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now he's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, and he's referring it to us today, and he says they did not enter the rest of God. In other words, they didn't inherit uh, and enter into the promised land because they hardened their hearts. And so... Paul is writing in the book of Hebrews saying, don't follow the example. Don't harden your hearts because you won't enter into the things of God. So, church, here's the deal. Hard hearts don't enter into the rest and the things of God. Yeah, we'll see a little bit later. Sometimes it's just direct rebellion. Sometimes it's by sheer self-will that people just, you know, harden their hearts. Just, by, just because they can, I guess. It's amazing. That if you read the back end of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles and Kings, you will basically see how, you know, Judah suddenly started rushing into decline. And uh, just before the exile, before the Babylonians conquered them and taken into exile. And Zedekiah was basically the last king. And king after king after king had sinned. They'd hardened their hearts. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And eventually God says, well... The end of the matter is, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do now. That's it. You're going into exile. And here comes Zedekiah, this king. And Jeremiah, you can read the whole chapter of Jeremiah 37, the entire chapter. Jeremiah is prophesying to King Zedekiah, the whole entire chapter. And he's going, Zedekiah, don't do this. Zedekiah, you know, what happened was under Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians came and they were right camped outside the walls of Jerusalem. And Zedekiah thinks he's going to fight them off. The Babylonian army hears that the Egyptian army is coming. And they were no match for the Egyptian army. So they think, okay, we're getting out of here. They duck. So Zedekiah goes, oh, they got scared of us and they chased them off." And Jeremiah prophesies and says, don't think that they're retreating because of you. They're retreating because of Pharaoh and his armies. But once Pharaoh goes, they're coming back. And they're going to burn the city down and take you into captivity. But he wouldn't listen. So listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles 36 verse 13. It's the last few verses of Chronicle, 2 Chronicles. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear on earth by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. He just refused to turn to God. She self-will. Other times, it's just plain sinful. So, Paul writing in Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter three, verse 12, see to brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's just amazing, isn't it? I don't know if you've noticed this. It's just time for honesty, okay? I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you don't invest in your spiritual life, if you don't discipline yourself to pray, to word, to come to church, how many of you notice the drift is easy? Your spiritual condition, the condition of your spiritual life, is exactly the same as fitness. Exactly the same, identical. Isn't it amazing how long it takes you to get super fit? And how easily it is to become super unfit. (laughs) You've noticed. Amen. How many of you have noticed what hard work it is to shed those few kilograms and how easy it is to gain them? You know, I mean, I fast 40 days. I'm skin and bone because I just, the first one especially, and I I mean, I just drank water. And I mean, I was 40 days, you know, and I promise you, it probably took a week. I mean, I just walked past the chocolate and I got the calories. You know, I didn't eat for 40 days. And I was, everything that I had told myself no to, no to, I couldn't stop this thing. I was like Pac-Man after the fast. And in less than 40 days, I was heavier than before I went on a fast. Come on, church. If we don't look after our spiritual lives, it goes into decline quite rapidly. Isn't that right? That's so why Paul says, train yourself to be godly. Amen. And so the whole thing that I'm trying to bring us to, the understanding is we need to guard our heart. God wants a pure river of life flowing out of us from pure hearts. Amen. Amen. So when we open our mouths, prophetic words come out. Healing words come out. When we open our mouths, blessing comes out because it comes out of that repository of the good stuff that is stored inside of us. Amen. And so... You know, sometimes it's just plain sinful. Uh, Fourthly, pride. Very amazing. Proverbs 16, 18. You know, a lot of our English terminology comes from the Bible. Pride goes before a fall. So listen to it in Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so pride is not a good thing. And sometimes just the refusal to submit to God and humble yourself and walk right with God comes down to nothing other than just plain pride. Pride is very much a human condition. And we need to watch our pride. Sometimes we don't even realize, you know, what pride is in our lives. Pride is trying to do it your own way rather than God's way. Amen? Pride is sometimes not waiting for God. It's when you try and, you know, come up with a solution yourself. You know, Let me give you a practical example. Pride is when you want something, and you don't have the money, and rather than believing God for it and possibly even sowing towards having it, you go and incur a debt to get it, and then you struggle to pay off the loan, whereas you could have just waited for God. That's one example. So pride is an amazing thing. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 20, you know what brought King Nebuchadnezzar down and why he lost his mind and why he became like a wild animal. It's interesting that I think it's in Revelation 13 when it talks about one of the beasts that John has in the vision, and it says, And a heart of a man was given to it. It's amazing how everyone takes that book of Revelation and sticks it way into the future. But that beast that John is talking about, it's the same beast that Daniel was talking about. You know, it's exactly the same as the head of gold of the statue. But John says a heart of a man was given to that beast. And that was when Nebuchadnezzar regained his sanity. And the Bible says, and God gave him back his heart. All prophetic language. Amazing, eh? Book's coming. Book's coming. Okay. All right. And so about Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says, but when his heart was lifted up, with pride, and his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. You can read in what happens to us. When pride comes in, we lose our seating of authority, and it affects the glory of God in our lives. Bitterness over circumstances. You know, when you've had a tough, hard life, When things have been really difficult, you can, you know, it it just hasn't been good. You can become bitter. You can become bitter. Your heart can get hard because it's like, it's not fair. Look what life dished up for me. Look what's happening in my life. This person did this. That company did this. This This happened. This happened. This happened. This driver drove into me. This, this, this. And we can become so bitter with the things of life. But God's intention is for us to become better, not bitter. Amen? So, uh, we get to the last one, and I'm not going to have time. The last one is, you know the disciples were genuine followers of Jesus. Yeah. They genuinely, they followed Jesus. They really loved Jesus. They followed Him. They gave up lives and livelihoods, family, and they went and followed Jesus. Yeah. But it's really interesting that even them, as Let's call them faithful Christians. On several occasions, Jesus had to turn to them and say, Why are your hearts hard? They were not willfully sinning. They were not in pride. They were not in sheer rebellion. Their hearts hadn't been hardened because, you know, they'd gone past the point of submitting to God, but they were genuinely following Him. They wanted to be with Him. And on more than one occasion, Let me just read you one in Mark chapter three, verse five. This was the scribes and Pharisees predominantly, but it included the disciples, where Jesus turns around, and it's the Bible says in Mark 3, verse 5, King James Version, and when he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, and this was the man that had the withered hand, stretch forth thy hand. And when he did, the hand was completely restored. It's amazing. But if you look at it there, Jesus looked around about on them or at them with anger and he was grieved. It's the only place in the Bible that uses this word grieved, which means that he was angry and sad at the same time because of the hardness of their hearts. And the disciples, on more than one occasion, and one of them is in Mark chapter 8, verses 17 to 18, they were in the boat. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 He had fed the 5,000. He had walked on water. Now he feeds the 4,000. They get in the boat. Jesus says, cross to the other side. They've got one loaf of bread with them. And then Jesus turns around and he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Basically what Jesus was saying to them is, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like them. And then they're going, what is he talking about the yeast of the Pharisees for? Yeast? Oh, yeast is in bread. Okay, maybe it's because we haven't bought bread, but look, we've got one loaf in the boat. And then Jesus, he's, he's sitting there, and he's like, he's conscious in his spirit of what they're mumbling and muttering around, and he turns around and he goes like, hey guys, I'm not talking about physical bread. Don't you understand Don't you understand? And I I did this once before. I took the loaves and fishes and the feeding of the 5,000. I drew it on the board. And the loaves and the fishes were the 4,000. And we did a principle of extrapolation. And we saw that the more Jesus had, the less people he fed. The less he had, the more people he fed. It's incredible. You can do the extrapolation. And you can see, if you put five loaves and fishes and then seven loaves and fishes, and and then you put one loaf, he could have fed twenty or 30,000 with one loaf. If you do the extrapolation, an X, Y, and do the extrapolation, drawing through the number of people versus the number of loaves and fishes he had, they didn't get it. It's like, you know, he could have fed the whole of Israel with one loaf. So I'm not talking about the bread. I'm talking about don't in your hearts. Become like the Pharisees. Amen? So it's interesting. If we have a look at the look at the next verse, verse 18. He says to this, Do you have eyes but fail to see? Come on, church. I'm just giving you some of the marks of good, true, honest believers following Jesus. We all put up our hands, didn't we? And our feet and our heads, and we all said, I mean, we want to live, we want to see greater things. Is that right? And Jesus said, this is the thing that I'm trying to rescue you from. Don't become like the Pharisees because you'll have eyes to see but fail to see. You know, there's a lot of Christians, and you can, Jade and you can often ask. We hear of things, and I'll often say to them, do you know what that is about? That is about the fact that many Christians cannot join the dots. They cannot connect the dots. You know what I'm talking about. And it's like... You know, you're pastoring people, you're shepherding people, and I'm not talking about any of you guys, is that you're pastoring and shepherding, you're teaching the Word, you've given them prophetic words, you've strongly exhorted them, you've encouraged them, and they've ignored all of it. And then years down the road, their lives are a mess. And then they're angry with God, and they can't see Him, but they can see His representative, And then they become angry with him, you know, and then somehow it's my fault. And then I'll say to them, I want you to understand that's because they cannot connect the dots back to their own actions and their own decisions. And here Jesus was trying to connect dots for them and say, do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear, and don't you remember? Ah, that's a key one. Okay, but I haven't got time. So what he was saying. When your hearts become hard, you lose your perception and your ability to understand my promises and my power. My ability. Have you ever caught yourself moaning about, I caught myself a little while ago, moaning about, you know, something, and it was like, you know, there were people in this church that was so broke and so poor. I remember one guy, they couldn't even afford to buy half a loaf of bread after church. They couldn't. They didn't have enough cents. Those days, half a load of bread was like 20 cents or something like 30 cents. They were sitting in church. They came to church. They were thinking to themselves, we're going to go home and uh, we're going to try and buy half a loaf of bread to have something to eat today for lunch. They didn't even have that money. So here I am, I walk over to them, and I start prophesying. God is going to raise you up. You're going to be a multimillionaire. And they're going like, "What?" And all they've got to their name is not even enough. They told me the story. They went after church down here where the pick and payers. There used to be a little cafe there, and they went in and they put the money on the counter and they said to the owner of the cafe, "Please can we buy a half a loaf of bread?" And he looks and says, "That's not enough for a half a loaf of bread." He says, "But I'll tell you what. He has a loaf." And he blessed them with a loaf of bread. And it was a matter of months that he landed a contract with BP South Africa. Andrew and Ivor both started working for him. It became a multimillionaire. Turned his back on God, started saying horrible things about me. You know. I mean, multi-millionaire. Stinking rich. It was the worst prophetic word I ever delivered, once. <laughs> <laughs> huh? It's my fault. No, but I'm talking about, it was months after that, months after that. And I was praying for him because I was fearing for him. I was praying for him. And suddenly God spoke to me. I begged God. I pleaded God. I said, God, I cannot give that word. That's not what I do. And eventually Lord said, you need to warn him. So I went against, he's now in a plush, nice office. You know, whereas before he couldn't buy half a loaf of bread. And I'll go and sit down, hire you? And he's very cool, very whatever with me. So I just said, okay, listen, brother, let me just tell you why I'm here. I said, God says, if you don't repent, you'll die. He dived off his chair. He turned, he dived off his chair onto the floor and wept and started pleading with God. God, spare my life. God, spare my life. God, spare my life. I got on the floor with him. I said, brother, God will spare your life. It didn't change. He went back to it. I and mean, I heard later via other things that he was saying all sorts of terrible things about the church and about me. And It was a matter of weeks he died of a heart attack. Sometimes people can't connect dots. There's consequence. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's put that verse back, and then I can finish off. And uh, do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, don't you remember? I've heard myself complaining, for example, about a guy like that and going, you know, here I am. I'm the oak that gave him the word, you know, and now he doesn't come and say, hey, Pastor John, you blessed me with that word. He has 50 bucks, you know, yes, nothing but criticism. And I started complaining. I'm going like, I will never pray. I'll never prophesy millions for anyone ever again. Rather, they can stay poor and they'll serve God. (laughs) You know, and I said, You know, these rich people, they don't, and I was having a fat whinge. And then suddenly the Lord started saying, Yeah, but what about that guy? What about that couple? What did they do for you? How did they bless you? What about those people? And I suddenly realized that because of that offense, my heart was hard, and I was failing to remember the pure river of life to flow out of us on, church, with five-part series now. That we have to watch the condition of our heart. God doesn't want us to have offenses. He doesn't want us to become bitter with life. Because the Bible tells us, read Romans 5, 5 yourself. He shed abroad His love in our hearts. So that we can be strengthened by the negativities that we go through. Not hardened by it. Instead of becoming bitter, becoming better. Amen? If you've been doubted lemons, turn it into lemonade, the saying goes. But God wants us to deal with things, and we need to be quick to believe. One of the things about that hard heart is another translation Jesus said, and I mentioned it a while ago. He said, why are you so slow, so slow to believe? If we want to see greater things happen in and through our lives, we need to be a lot quicker to believe, We mustn't forget what he's done for us. We need to have eyes that perceive and ears that hear God. And that's the reason why very often the Lord gets nitpicky with us, with even the littlest things, of course the big things, but even with the littlest of things. And he says, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And he starts to put his finger on areas of our hearts and lives that absolutely matter to him. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in action. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to pray. David prayed and he said, God, just, just see if there's any wickedness in me. He said, I want truth in the inward parts. But basically, let's make a prayer of commitment to the Lord. God, I'll guard my heart and I'll keep it before you. Because I want the pure river of the water of life flowing out of me. I want to see the, the blind see, the crippled walk, the deaf hear, the sinners come to salvation. God, we want to see great and mighty things happen. Father, I just pray, Lord, this morning on everybody's behalf, we're saying, God, just check our hearts. We welcome we welcome your activity in our hearts. We welcome the fact that you put your finger on areas in our hearts. We welcome the fact that sometimes, Lord, you're a little bit pedantic about things almost, that you're nitpicky, that you you prod our hearts, that you provoke us to remember. Lord, because we want to have hearts that just... That are pure, that are single. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, we want to just thank you this morning that we will flow. We want to be that that next in line for the generation of the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to proceed from the Father, from the Son, and into us and through us with the same clarity, the same purity in the mighty name of Jesus. God, forgive us if anywhere we're slow in heart. Forgive us if we're a little bit hard, a bit calloused. But if we've lost a bit of sensitivity, give us our sensitivity back to your voice and to your promptings. Lord, as we read it in your word and by the voice of your Holy Spirit, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. And Father, we're asking that for your glory, and for our good, that we're about to reach and touch a dying world out there with the purity of your love, the purity of your power. Father, that their lives would be impacted through us. Father, in the name of Of Jesus and everybody agreed and said amen Amen. so may the Lord bless you with eyes that see and perceive may the Lord bless you with ears that hear that are not dull and perceptive and may God give you a heart and mind to remember to encapsulate the things that He's done for you and the promises of things that He will do, that you will ponder them in your heart, that your hearts will be a repository for everything that is good. Bless you in Jesus' name.